Hi, my name's Effie Katz and this is Uncommon. Uncommon is a production by Neural, a unique digital agency. Neural specializes in content production in the areas that matter most to your content strategy across podcast production, video production, and social media. If you want to increase your conversion or grow your brand trust, head to neural.com to request a callback. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com. My name is Jordan Michaelides and I'm the host of Uncommon, a show that asks the why on business, media, current affairs, and sport. If you like this episode, do leave us a written review on your podcast app, particularly if you're on Apple Podcasts, as it does help the feed work out. If you like this sort of content, find all previous guests, just head to neural.com slash uncommon. For the full video, you can search Uncommon Show on YouTube. For social, you can keep up to date with behind the scenes at uncommon underscore show on Instagram. But with all that being said, let's get into the episode. My guest this week is Effie Katz, creator, creative director rather, and founder of Effie Katz The Label, and of course, base as well. Uh, Effie, it was interesting trying to get notes in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find someone who gave me some good intel. Oh. So I, I was curious when we were going through this whole process and when you were younger, did it ever occur in your head that maybe one day instead of fashion you get into transport? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, I never wanted to get into transport. Um, my dad's friend, I think you're referring to Michael yeah. Damianos, yeah. <laughs> um, he gave me one of my first jobs at Phoenix Transport. Yeah. In, yeah. where was it? Derrimut? Derrimut, yeah. God, <laughs> oh, you're taking me way back. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? Uh, Rough, yeah. It was a job. Yeah. <laughs> it paid well. It's a job, you got paid, yeah. yeah. It's one of those things that you just, do. how old were you guys? Oh my gosh, I was like 19, 20. 19, 20, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things you just do at the time. I remember... I, for years, worked in my dad's factory. He's mm. a printer. And um, I remember Lauren used to do some shifts, like, in uni, similar age. It's rough work. You know, yeah. you eight-hour straight shifts. Uh, Those truckies get feisty. They do, <laughs> That man. was the main issue. Yeah, the, tra- the transport <laughs> people are always... Yeah, because they, would, they wouldn't handle the logistics. The logistics mm. people would come in separately. So, Yeah. It's, it was very funny when he told me that. I, I love the, the inside notes on stuff like that. Wow, it takes me <laughs> way back. How do you know Michael? Um, so we know a guy, <laughs> his last name's Panos, but they call him Pinner. I don't, I don't know why. Um, they're all in real estate. Okay. So I know... Uh, Dimmy. Dimmy. Yes. Yeah. So there's Dimmy, Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all involved in like Buxton. Yes. And... I can't remember how. I think Tom listened to the show. We had a guest on. He listened to the show. We got chatting and, like, he grew up in Bentley. I grew up in Bentley. So we just sort of bonded over that. Yeah. Um, we had tried to catch up for coffee. <laughs> amongst a couple all this, things like, got in the way. Yeah, a few little <laughs> things got in the way. But, um, yeah, he's a good guy. And then Dimmy hit me up. He was wanting to start his own podcast. Oh. Which is he, cool. Yeah, he'd be so good. He's got so, the gift of the gab, that kid. Yeah, he's, he's a good conversationalist, mm. that's for sure. So I know you you grew up in this sartorial family. Mm-hmm. You've got a pop or dad who's a tailor. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, she's still with us today. She is. She yeah. is. Seamstress. Both of them. Yeah. Well, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, and your papa. Well, my um, my grandma is. My papa was there, so he's in the workroom too. He just kind of walks around and tells us all, you know, what to wow. do. And how old are they? Oh, they're in their eighties. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I should know. That's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've got, you obviously grew up around that. What's, um, what's the earliest memory of this sketchbook you had as a kid? Oh, yeah. Uh, when I was young, oh, God, I would have been like eight, eight or nine, something like that. My dad used to have like men's vogues and there were never any like women's vogues because my mum just wasn't into that. So. Really? Yeah, no, she, mum's a lawyer, so she just wasn't really into fashion or anything like that. So um, Men's Vogue's was all I had and I used to read dad's magazines and I used to kind of reimagine the outfits as like women's outfits. So I used to redraw them, but, you know, I'd make the jackets a bit shorter, the pants a bit tighter and I don't know, it's a weird thing for a kid to do, but that was my hobby. Yeah, it's one of, <laughs> it's one of those things you do though when you grow up around that stuff. Yeah. Like I, when I was listening to that as part of one of the interviews, I thought, what was like the nostalgic thing you had as a, a kid? Because I remember being in dad's factory and it would always be like the smell yeah. of fresh paper. Yeah. So I'd have like that fresh smell of, I still have it to this day. If I print something out, I go and like. It takes you back? It just takes yeah. you back. Yeah. What's the nostalgic element? For you, I know you're still actually, are you still working out of the Coburg spot? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the nostalgia. I'm still in it. <laughs> um, we have had the building for, I think, like 25 years. So I grew up there and not, you know, a few little things have changed, but we've got all the old machinery and, and the cutting tables. So, yeah, I'm living it. It's all there. <laughs> do, you, do you, does the family own the factory? Yes, we own the building, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. classic. There's no escaping it. Classic walls. I mean, <laughs> my dad did the same thing. He's like, you've always got to own the building. Property. You know? <laughs> property. Property It's always key. about property. Um, did, was there a lesson, like, that you found, I don't know, growing up? I, I know in one of the interviews you mentioned that your yaya was, was very impactful on your career as well as your dad. Mm. But was there any, like, principal lessons that you learnt from them at all you know, over the time? It, my family are real workhorses. Yeah. And they're, I don't know what your family's like, but they're very like, nothing's good enough, you got to work harder, keep going. So, you know, and not much for sympathy. So yeah. I kind of grew up with a really, really hard, like, mentality. And... Um, Just sort of an A-type family, yeah? Yeah. It's carried on. It's carried on. Like that work ethic of, you know, keep going, do better. It's something that I've, I've carried on into my career. And do you find that like, because I've had that obviously as well, like for an A-type family, do you, like I've, I've often built that into my personality, mm-hmm. which can become like a bit of a double-edged sword. It does. Because yeah. you, you can't chill out. You're, you're your worst critic. Yeah. Nothing's good enough. Um, but, you know, <laughs> at the same time, you achieve more. So it's, yeah, it is. It's a double-edged sword. How do you... Well, we can probably get into that when we talk about Zachary because I feel yeah. like that was probably the moment when you realised that, you know, maybe you just needed to chill out a bit. Uh, yeah. Um, I had it, for me, like two years ago. So I, we'll get into it there. But 
What was really interesting was, you know, you obviously styling, styling, buying your own clothes. Mm. You studied photography, then PR, and mm. at every every turn you were sort of weaving fashion into it. Yes. And it, I, I know that you, like, apparently your dad would, like, obviously, it, you know, he was speaking about the, the impact of being in the fashion business. Mm. I remember my dad used to do a similar thing, mm. and he still does it to this mm. day. He's like, as we have this business, he's like, oh, you sure? Sure you don't want to, you know, yeah. just have a job? Yeah. Um, Anything and, else. <laughs> yeah, like, and always sort of externalising that. And, and I know that for me it meant that I didn't get into printing. Of course, I had to go. My first job was like a profession. Yeah. Go to accounting, banking, finance, something like that. And I hated it. Yeah. So. It's dry. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. very, very dry. Did you Did you feel that that was how much of you not just going straight into fashion was your old man sort of pushing you away? Look, to be honest, I think it was kind of both. So it was dad, it was watching his struggle and how hard making clothing actually is. People don't realise. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, oh, I don't want that for me. And mum... Mum's a lawyer, so, you know, she did extreme, she has done, I should say, extremely well for herself. And whilst it's been a really tough journey for her as well, it's been really rewarding. Um, so I looked at, I guess, mum's journey and dad's journey and I was like, oh, you know, I had the grades to kind of go into something more academic. Yeah. Um, and I was like, maybe I should, you know. But I, I've always been creative at heart. So, I, you know, started with photography, then got into PR, dropped out of both. Uh, and I just, I, I think when you're destined for something, you can't, can't escape it. Yeah. I think it sort of seems like your personality traits were probably driving you towards that. Definitely. Um, Couldn't fight it. Yeah. You could, you could, like, you were always interested in it. I remember like for me it was sort of similar, although I like the business side of things mm. and I did that sort of accounting, banking, finance stuff, it was media that was always, it just, stories your passion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you grew, you got to think, like if you grew up around a family, it's just this, it's the same thing that you would have had. If you grew up around a family and they're like fourth generation of mm. this thing and everything that they value is these hush stories at the dinner table. Of and, course. You know, these big books and stuff like that with, you know, really precise bounding and, and all that sort of stuff, binding. And and it just, I don't know, it's just one of those things that gets ingrained into you. And at least if you're like one of your parents as well. I think for me, when I would think about my life and growing up, um, I, I felt really lost. Yeah. And I was doing jobs that I didn't make me happy. And I kind of recognised from a really young age that if you want true happiness in life, you have to pursue your passion because people can do jobs that pay them really well and buy them a beautiful house. But, you know, inside, are you truly fulfilled yeah. even if you have money? Well, when did you realise that? Really early on. I was just so... You know, I, I don't know. I think I've just had this like um, this core like instinct that would just tell me when I was on the wrong path, and I you could just feel it yeah. sort of here. And I, I I couldn't explain it. I I certainly couldn't put logic to it, um, but I just knew. And even though you know, I, I remember when I dropped out of 
PR, so it was my second course, I was like to mum, oh, I'm going to start a brand. And she was like, oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> and I, I couldn't explain it because I knew it, it, I knew how tough the industry was and I knew it sounded insane. Um, but uh, my heart of hearts was telling me that that's what I had to do. So that's what I did. Yeah. And I think it was probably, you know, that you, you said in a prior interview, you're at uni, mm. Zachary was really born probably because there was just a, your own itch that you needed to scratch, yeah. right? Like um, the example you gave in the interview was there wasn't anything between Kukai, which was sort of mm. s on the simpler end, versus Manning Cartel, which was on the higher end for yeah. a uni student attending a wedding. And, if, you know, if, if the majority of this audience or if a bunch of guys are listening to this and thinking, what the fuck does that mean? Mm. The way I often think about it is it would be like they're only being a high-end Mercedes on the market versus a brand-new Toyota, Literally. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, there was nothing in between. I feel like the VWs and the, the Audis of the world really filled that mm. gap in the last 10 years, and it sort of seems there was something similar. And there's something similar has happened in men's fashion, but we'll probably get in because it aligns well with the Effie Cats labelled today. But yeah. um, I know you said you want to be like the Tom Ford... Of, of women, day. yeah, yeah, of everyday, <laughs> the women. everyday woman. Yeah. Um, when did you realise that the stress of starting this thing was less than the potential opportunity? I don't know if I <laughs> ever realised that. <laughs> it's been really, really hard every step of the way, um, but again, something in my core just says, "Keep going." Yeah. And I don't know what it is, but I would have these days where it would be like, oh, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of stocks come in faulty, even though we've worked tirelessly with factories to explain to them about thread tension and how we want things finished and all of that. And I just remember being in the bathroom. I still do it, actually. I don't know. It's, <laughs> you know, just being at complete breaking point and just going these are the defining moments of success. Like yeah. people either give up or they push through. Yeah. And I I think in credit to my upbringing and that real tough, you know, work harder, keep going, you know, um, I just keep going. Yeah, and I think uh, you, you mentioned like Elon Musk is like mm. one, of the, one of the entrepreneurs that you look, looked up to or do look up to. Yeah. What's the, that quote is... Um, Entrepreneurship is like chewing broken glass and staring into the abyss. Oh, I haven't heard that one. But it's fucking true, right? Yeah. Oh, literally. literally. Well, I, I always refer back to this analogy of it's, it's like jumping off a cliff and assembling a plane on the way down and hoping to God <laughs> you don't hit the ground yeah. before you work it out. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that is exactly it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's also like... What makes it so exciting as well, uh, I find. It's a thrill. And I think for me, I know um, like the security of getting paid a weekly wage is, you know, for most sane people, a great way to go. Yeah. But I am one of those people where I just thrive from um, creating and, again, following my passion. And I, I, it's not for me. Yeah. I don't think I'd be a great employee, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I, I would I would say that it's it is like having been an employee, it's it's tough. Yeah. 
um, particularly when you've got that strong-willed mindset and you have an idea of what you want to do and someone tells you this, it's like... Well, yeah, <laughs> someone's dictating, you know, I'm from my uni lecturers to the bosses that I had when I was younger, it was always like, no, you should do things like this or no, we don't like this, we want it done like this and it's like, for me, I just want to express what's inside and I don't think someone telling me what's right and wrong is right for that, you know, because yeah. it's it's what I want to bring to the world. Yeah. Do you, like in the early days, I think things moved pretty quickly. Um, I was reading in one of these things, mm. it sort of seemed like from day one out the back mm. of that fabled family workroom, it was just bang, bang, bang. What was sort of, before you took on the investment, what were the highs and lows of that period or was it all highs? <sighs> like when we were developing the brand? yeah. yeah. It's all such a blur because I think <laughs> it, it really did take off so quickly. I kind of went from, oh, okay, let's try this out. And, I, you know, I had my friend who was pattern making at the time. We were just making a couple of pieces. Um, but the demand through Instagram was so quick that not having that technical knowledge in fashion it, it took its toll. Yeah. It took its toll because I think I'm an ideas person, so I'm putting out these ideas, but I didn't have the technical knowledge to execute, so I was always relying on others to make that happen. And then um, I learnt about a lot really quickly through a lot of mistakes yeah. about stretch garments <laughs> and the correct thread tension and what to explain. And you know, even now with Base Brand, when I'm working with these big factories, they'll go. I'll say, no, no, you need to do this. And they'll say, no, no, that's not possible. And I'm like, listen, mate, <laughs> I've been in this industry for seven years. I have made every mistake under the sun. I know what's possible. Go back and it. make it happen. Yeah. And they do. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, in hindsight, was there a mistake that you made that seemed pivotal at that moment, but in hindsight seems almost childish? And the example I'd give for myself is that I remember working in hospo and I dropped a glass, like I was carrying a tray. I used to work at the press club mm -hmm. when I was at uni. And so I'm walking behind this table and I've got this tray of like wine, yeah. beers, everything. Oh, and I said, I said to this person, this person, I'm like, excuse me, uh, just walking behind you there, like tell them. And then, and then they just get up. They get up in the tray, like, psh, and no. went all over them. Stop. Yeah. Worst nightmare. So <laughs> that's like probably one of those things. But in hindsight, I just now what it's meant is that it means in any sales yep. discussion, conversation, whatever, I don't give a fuck about anything. Mm -hmm. uh, everything's on the table. I, I can't be embarrassed by anything. Yeah. Because I've done that to someone. Yeah. <laughs> is there something like that that you have? Uh, I think that there were lots of mistakes made in terms of like production and all that kind of stuff. But the most pivotal one would be to have brought on an investor and to have been, to not have trusted my gut because essentially um, Zachary was like your tray. Yeah. And you kind of know and you can see it and then it just, it all collapses. And you, you know why when you look back in hindsight, um, 
but things like that happen so quickly. And I think for me that was the biggest mistake. Do you think at, at that point, because it sort of seems like in prior interviews you've spoken about the fact that that, that A-type mentality, you want to grow fast, yeah. right? But now you have to temper it. Yeah. Was that what drove you to get the investment? I know your, your old man was against at the time. He was yeah, like, he you was. know, continue working in this workroom. Um, but you're like, oh, scale, scale, scale. No. For me, it was I had to keep up with the demand. And both my dad and I did not know uh, what a beast stretch garments were. And um, we were producing things and really doing our best. But, um, you know, with stretch and particularly, like, for us, it's it's double-layered. So this T-shirt, mm-hmm. for example, is single. It's double-layered. It's got to be sewn with a particular thread tension. And then any plain stitching mm-hmm. has to be sewn with that correct tension. Otherwise, you get a hole and it's a faulty garment. Really? So I had no idea about how delicate that whole kind of process is. And if it's not done correctly, you're producing faulty garments. And we were learning on the go. And my dad's very like, oh, yeah, but, you know, things happen. And, you know, you know, it doesn't matter what you think the majors don't have these issues. And it was like, I'm such a perfectionist that that, that was really getting to me. Yeah. And I, you know, if I'm honest, I felt at the time... People had had experiences with Zachary where, you know, holes had, you know, appeared in their garments through, you know, um, wearing them. And I I wanted to nip that in the bud. Yeah. And I didn't know. And I think that for me, um, being such a perfectionist and so driven, not knowing is the most frustrating thing. And I mm. felt like I was clutching at straws every time I was trying to fix it. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, I was approached by someone who claimed that they knew, so I I went with that. And then, you know, there were a few red flags that had come up, but I ignored that because I was so scared. Mm. And I, I think that's the biggest mistake you can make in business is to make decisions based on fear. Yeah. And that's what I did. And I learned a really harsh lesson really, really young. Um, and I ignored my gut instincts because I, I didn't trust in my myself, I guess, in my voice. Mm. And I paid the ultimate price. But now when I look at that, I think that was so necessary to my growth and development as a businesswoman. Yeah. Um, because I learned how to rebuild from ground zero. Yeah. And to me, total humiliation. Yeah, I, I got a feeling that you, you're probably going to be a happy per, happier person if... Zachary had failed and the brands that exist today exist versus mm. if Zachary had scaled yeah. the way that it did. Because, you know, like Zachary w- was ahead of his time, but it was still in tune with what was happening in the trends of the, the retail market, which totally. was... It was very commercial. Yes. Yeah. Which, you know, for you personally, probably didn't give you... I think in the long run, it probably wouldn't yeah. have given you as much fulfilment. Yeah, yeah. Like, the creative outlet wasn't... Because it was always like, well, what's going to sell? And, you know, we were always making red, navy, black, white dresses. And, you know, we tried a couple of different things. But I think as well, having all these overheads, all these staff, like, I really let that pressure compound and I was making decisions based on what's going to make the most money rather than what actually feeds my soul and, you know, am I 
but truly expressing my creativity? No, because all these external factors are influencing them. And again, I think as a young woman in business, you know, through lack of experience and I guess just not having that confidence in myself, I was really swayed by external factors, which again, I learned not to do through, you know, to me, what was the worst possible thing that could happen. Mm. You took to, so the business, well, you left, the business started going into administration. Yeah. Uh, You took time off, moved back home. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> through this five-month sort of exorcism, you oh, could probably call it. Yeah. Um, I think you probably realised that you were the only person who could deal with your shit at the time. And yep. I, I found it really interesting that you wrote down the list, you yeah. know, this list. The list that was yeah. bro- blocking you from living your truest life was the mm-hmm. quote that I had. Mm-hmm. I was curious how much have you carried that process to this day? Do you still do things like that where you write down Mm. and have a list of shit that's causing you issues? I do. And I think um, as humans, like we're constantly evolving and we're facing different challenges and we're facing different parts of ourselves as we're ready. Mm. So for me, you know, and I I think I'm sure a lot of people have this, it's it's been facing a lot of stuff from my childhood and recognising where the roots of my anxieties and my insecurities stem from, facing them and working through that, I'm constantly doing exercises that kind of hone in on that. And it, it's, it's challenging and it's not, I mean, it takes a certain kind of emotional intelligence to recognise, okay, I've got these issues and this is why I think I do. Um, and then working through that, it, it's not easy. And that, you know, especially in isolation. Mm. I, I, I was on such a runaway train before, not, not in the, you know, out of control way, but it was like everything was so busy and I just never had time to deal with things that were coming up. So isolation was actually a really great opportunity for me to deal with some of the things that I kind of knew were there. Yeah, but I, I was like, I, I can't even deal with this right now. I'm so busy. I don't have time to feel vulnerable. You you spoke about the fact that you had had pretty bad anxiety, and yeah. I think um, I think I had a similar thing. I was at a younger age, but I didn't have that moment that pressured it. And then I think yeah. it was when I was like 25, 26, the anxiety came back hard. It got yeah. so bad. I remember it was even in the midst of doing these interviews, like probably eighteen months, mm-hmm. twenty four months ago. And my mouth would get like so dry and yeah. I started to get like this phobia of swallowing food. I used to puree my food. My sister had food. exactly that. Really? She couldn't eat. Like she couldn't, she was so anxious that she couldn't yeah. swallow food. Couldn't swallow food. Yeah. And I would blend food. I did that for like six months. And then eventually you go through all these things and they think it's like a gut issue. Yep. They realise in the end that it's actually a mental health issue. It is. And they tell you... Uh, <laughs> You need to go see a fucking psychologist, basically. And I changed a lot during that period. I remember at that time I would, like, diarise a lot, like, just Mm. write a lot. Mm -hmm. But now I don't need to as much, but I have to meditate every day for, like, 20 minutes. Guaranteed. Otherwise I'll be... I commend you because I can't meditate (laughs) at all. (laughs) Otherwise I'll be be cooked. Yeah. I'll be absolutely fried. Um, But so I feel like you have to sort of have those moments at least, at some point. It's better you have it earlier than later. Totally. Uh, Look, for me, it's a constant thing. And um, I think 
recognizing it and working through it and developing as a person. And, you know, that has flow on effects. It makes you a better business person. It makes you more in tune with yourself and you can establish closer relationships with friends and family and you have an open mind to certain things in life. And again, I think having an open mind in business and recognising and openly accepting your weaknesses um, and also your strengths, of course, but I think that makes you a better business person because you're not dogmatic. Yeah. It's not like, no, this is the way it is. And it's like, you know, there's so many cases I've seen or even been in that position as an employee where you can see what your boss is doing wrong and it's so frustrating and, you know, you make suggestions and they go, oh, no, 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 this is how we should do it because blah, blah, blah. And I always said to myself because I, you know, I've been in those situations, I never, ever want to be that kind of boss Mm. because life is constantly evolving and changing so are people and so is life and then so is business. Yeah. And if you don't adapt and evolve constantly and you're not conscious and aware of, of all these things, which does take a level of emotional intelligence, then you get left behind. Yeah, you get left behind pretty Quickly. quick. But also yeah. you just, um, I don't know, as a person, you're just not able to experience life you as much things. as you... Yeah, you just miss yeah. a lot of things. They go over your head. They do. Um so I, I would definitely agree with that. I had to ask, what did you, you had a very small window of time off. Mm. What was the one thing you did miss that you were able to do regularly from that time off? Or were you just in bed oh, all day? No, I was never in bed, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, I think I, I really missed, again, it's like a, you know, there's a flip side because, like, I miss the thrill of everything and I'm so go, 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 go that I think stopping really exacerbated my anxiety because I had no choice but to do so. But at the same time, I I really did miss that, um, you know, I was constantly on getting planes and, like, going to events and, um, you know, in the workroom and then base and, you know, it was, like, nonstop. I never had a minute to just stop and, and think not think, but like, you know, just take Pause. take it all in, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's why I find like med- meditation, pardon me, is so yeah. useful because I oh know it's like it, it discharges all the, the shit that's in your nervous system. That's the only way yeah. I can explain it. Yep. When you can start to meditate properly. I know. And that's my next step. It's just that, <laughs> that mindfulness, but uh, like my mind races like a thousand miles an hour. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah I, I had to learn, I had to get properly coached into like yep. getting out of that stage and often what it comes down to is you just got to like um, accept that your brain will do that for the first few weeks. And not that was intense. get frustrated at yourself because yeah, I'll, I'll sort be of, sitting there and I'm like, yeah, all, and then I'm like, I can't do this, it's so annoying. Yeah, all you have no. to do is just like <laughs> literally sit there and so the first few weeks it was really hard because your, your brain doesn't stop at all but after like a week or two it does maybe like you're i don't know i start i like fall asleep now really yeah when i meditate wow i don't but apparently it's not like you're falling asleep it's sort of like a a different a, state of consciousness a different state yeah, yeah it's like um you're so deep in sleep but you're so awake that you can snap out of it really quickly right. it's it's really interesting but so the YNAM began november 2017 it was April 2018 that Effie Cats launched. Mm. Uh, 
it, it was what was really interesting about it when Lauren first saw your brand, and I feel like it was um, Gemma Watts who may have shared it mm-hmm. that we that we knew of. Anyway, she saw it and she's like, "Fuck! Why had no one been doing this before? Because she's mm-hmm. petite, mm-hmm. she's got a bigger bust, so it's really hard." to find anything that really fits. So you've either got to buy really baggy stuff mm-hmm. or stuff that's way too tight. I would say <laughs> because women's tailoring is fucking hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Because we're not, um, we all have really different There's too many variables. Types. There are. That's what it is. Right? So you could have a big bust or a small bust or broad shoulders or really slim shoulders and then big hips or, you know, it's our bodies are so different and we're naturally curvier than men. Yeah. So to fit a jacket that sits beautifully and pants that sit perfectly, it's hard. But for me, that was something that I was really passionate about because I found that in this period of, you know, the, the exorcism, <laughs> the, the downtime from November to, to April, um, I felt so powerless and so uh, broken. The only time I felt like myself, I guess, was when I dressed up and I wore something that made me feel amazing. Mm. And so I wanted to bring that to women because, you know, life's tough and there are so many, um, you know, circumstances in life that make you feel less than. Mm. And I've never been, you know, six foot tall or, you know, just, you know, you see the stunning women and you're just like, wow, you know, that's just, you could throw on whatever, a potato sack and you look great, you know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm shorter. So it was always harder for me to feel like I, I stood out so clothes was my expression and I wanted to give women that armor in a sense that just made them feel like a million bucks yeah you know whether you're a size six or a size 14 or you're six foot tall you're you know four foot nine whatever it is you put it on and you're like damn but it also must be a I thought about it the other day like it must be really fucking sick to just know that like you can make something that people pay a lot of money for and like you can do it however you want. Like I remember I did the textile class in year 11 mm-hmm. um, and I thought, oh, you know, this will be easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. I'm pretty sure I still got the shirt that I made <laughs> and it's horrendous, man. Yeah, it's like, hard. It was, it's so fucking hard. So it must feel amazing to know that you've got this system in place where you can just... If you wanted to, you could create pretty much anything that you like, in a way. It's it. It is like liberating in a sense because it's like you have this um, creative vision that you can bring to life. Like I can get an idea at like eight a.m. and by six p.m. I've got it. The pattern. You know. Least, yeah. Well, no, like the whole garment. The sample, like we, yeah. yeah. Um, Shit. And I, I remember. Um, back in my younger days, you know, when I used to go to clubs and, you know, have a social life. <laughs> yeah, I heard, I heard you were a bit of a, what, what did he say? Um, oh, Demi said you're one for hanging out at, was it Eve? Alumbra. Alumbra. <laughs> Fuck, dude, Alumbra. Uh, yeah, <laughs> taking me way back. Yeah, um, yeah I, I was always so frustrated because 
I knew how I wanted to look and I knew how looking a certain way made me feel, but there was nothing really that was doing it for me. Or, you know, I might have, I might get lucky and find, you know, one outfit one week, you know, that made me feel great. But there was never one place that I could kind of go to find things that made me feel amazing. And at the end of the day, I've carried that on into my business, you know, model. I just know how girls want to feel. They just want to feel sexy and empowered and, and strong. And I'd like to think that that's what I bring them. Yeah. Yeah, it would be very nice. I mean, I, I remember where a few years ago I found Suit Shop and P. Johnson Taylors. Yeah. Um, and it was because I'm short, obviously, <laughs> and finding clothes for me is, like, really tough. You always have to get things cut off yep. massively or, like, but I've also got thick Greek thighs. Yep. So, <laughs> so like it was either way too long. Yep. Or um, you go like the size up and it's all baggy. Yeah, and, super baggy. Yep. yep. So yeah, finding that for me was like fucking mind blown. Yep. It was amazing. So I would I would agree, and I think if if there's more variables for women's clothing and it's harder mm. to find something that fits certain body types, you could imagine that would be even more of an impact. Well, yeah. And I think the thing is we're, we're all proportioned differently. So, you know, you could be a size 12, but you might have a really big bust or you might have broader shoulders or you might be pear-shaped. And that doesn't mean that one size 12 will fit another size 12. Yeah, yeah. Um, so making something that was proportionate to a woman's shape, not a number, was... You know, something I think that really set me apart. When um, I have to ask about scratching that mass market itch. Mm. Um, so obviously, uh, Ify Cats is around. I'm not sure how old Base is. Base, I started in December of 2018. To dem- December yeah. 2018. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, you've said that in prior interviews. You're trying to sc- scratch that itch. Yeah. What? Uh, how are you ensuring that you're doing things at somewhat of your own pace? Like, what would happen if you were sick tomorrow? Yes, that is a very good question. (laughs) (laughs) I can't be sick. Um, I think, for me, BASE is extremely self-sufficient in that my business partner and I both do it. My pattern maker, Kathy, she kind of knows now what I want. So she she thinks like me. and I guess, you know, I could do social media from bed. Effie <laughs> um, Cats is a lot more hands-on. The garments are more complex. And we're in really infant stages in growing uh, into that mass market sort of, not mass market, but more of a commercial space. Hmm. So we were heavily custom-based. And I, I kind of, I, I didn't mind going slow, you know, where, you know, in the past I was like, oh, I want to go national, I want to be in every shopping centre, I want to do this, I want to do that, you know, whatever. Where now I was kind of like, you know what, I was so broken by my past experiences that I just wanted to fall in love with it again. Yeah. And I was happy to take my time. Yeah. When my dad was kind of like, come on, we need to go, let's do this, let's do online, you know, and he really pushed for that. 
and now we're going into that space. But we're going at a pace that I feel is not going to burn me or my passion out. Yeah. And, and that's, that's probably important. the key thing. And I don't care about making a million dollars. I care about maintaining my passion and my love for the industry because I see things differently. I, I just, I, the way that I live my life, the, the number one thing for me is to wake up and be happy mm-hmm. and to be like, ah, oh, I can't wait to go to work or, you know, I'm so happy. I'm so grateful that I'm living this life where before it was just like, I was dead inside. And I, I think that that happens to a lot of people. It does. You know? Yeah. And I'm gonna die. Yeah. Like, yeah we're, what's the point? We're only here for a limited period of time. May as well enjoy it. Exactly. Do you do you find that with your creative process, in particular for the Effie Cats tailoring, that because in some of these interviews they're obviously like 2018, mm. 19. Mm-hmm. What's changed since then? How involved are you in the process now? Well, I still see clients. I am training my assistant, Zainab, to take on all the fittings because that's getting increasingly difficult for me to do between the two. So during the coronavirus, um, as it hit, we, you know, obviously everybody's events were cancelled and everything came to a grinding halt. And I was on a bit of a runaway train with custom because we were so busy making custom dresses and it's not a really scalable business model. Uh, But again, you know, it was something that I was enjoying and I wasn't quite sure how to stop Mm. because it was on, you know, there was so much momentum for it and I didn't have time to think about how I would transition from that to ready to wear. So we had launched a website, but I wasn't really giving it that much. And once the coronavirus hit, we knew that we had to really shift towards more of an online focused business. And that's what we did. Mm. And so I started creating, you know, I was creating pieces before that were like, you know, custom people had events and they wanted to stand out and they couldn't find something you know, that made them stand out where now I was like, okay, people are going to want pieces that they can implement into their wardrobe that's not going to, it's not going to date. It's not going to be like, oh, there she is in that red dress again, you know. You know, they could wear with lots and lots of different things and that weren't going to date and were also going to be affordable. So I, I still wanted to create statement pieces, but pieces that people would be able to wear in their wardrobe year after year and with different Mm. outfits. So like leather skirts and, you know, beautifully cut satin shirts and stuff like that that still made them feel great but they could wear with lots of different things. Do you find that you want to do, in terms of the custom side of things, that eventually you want to do something that like a a suit chopper or Pete Johnson does where maybe they have like a certain, you know, they they have a lookbook, let's say, and they you just pick a fabric and uh, they have a certain uh, pattern that yeah, they like would then... Yeah, like a block. Yeah, they, like a block that they would then... You change the colour or, you know, different things like that. Exactly. So you skip the you skip the wastage component. It is still technically custom. It's just not as custom as brand spanking new well, design. Well, I think in a sense 
like we do have our blocks, you know, we have our single breasted, we've got the double breasted, we've got, you know, different cuts and shapes. And I kind of assess with the client what their needs are, what their shape is, what's going to work best for them. So in a way we do that already, but I think where I imagine these guys would have like every size in store. So they'll put a size on you and they'll figure out maybe. Uh, yes, sort of. Rather but than not just in measuring every you freehand? Uh, they, they will measure yeah. everything, but um, they'll only take certain measurements. And then yeah. obviously P. Johnson, there's an extended list. That, you know, like They might take six measurements and then you get to the P. Johnson label and it's maybe like 16 or yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. But they generally have certain style. I guess with men's, it's sort of... Everything's so blocky, though. It is. It is. It yeah. is a lot different when you it think is. of it. Like women's is so complex it because is. with guys, it's like you need pants and a jacket. How do you want the jacket? How do you want your lapels? Yeah. How do you want? Do you want double-breasted, single-breasted? How many buttons works in this scenario? Okay, let's grab this jacket, which this guy got made, and it's a similar size. So you can see how it's a bit more blocky in that regard, mm. whereas it's going to be harder. It is. I, I think I want to always maintain a space where women feel like there's something for all of them. Mm. And that is really hard because I know in that, that retail process, a lot of women feel so discouraged by going to shops and putting things on and this didn't fit and, you know, they go home and they beat themselves up like nothing fit, nothing looked good. And, again, I've been there where I've gone to stores and I'm like, oh, yeah, everything looked crap. Yeah. You know, you just you, you feel so bad about yourself. And I've always wanted to create that space where all women feel you know, like it's it's so inclusive and they feel empowered by the experience rather than, you know, feeling like, oh, you know, they walk away feeling bad about themselves. So I think no matter what, no matter how logistically we figure it out, that is like my core, you know, absolute must yeah, from that, the that process. Yeah. yeah. Well, now that we're post-COVID, we're going through this awkward stage of masks, no masks, the hand sanitizer and all that sort of stuff. What um, I know you you've mentioned in previous interviews that there's probably going to be a resurgence in affordable fashion, but also innovation in pieces. What what do you think about when you daydream? You know, like I do. I always do this. I'm fucking standing in the shower, and it's meant to be like a five minute shower, but it turns into twenty minutes because I'm daydreaming about this problem or that mm -hmm. problem. What do you think about, like, six months from now, what does that look like for you? You know, it's... I think everything's really uncertain at the moment. Obviously, overseas, everyone's going to lockdown again and we're kind of monitoring cases every day. And it's like, what if there's an outbreak? You know, what, what if we go back into lockdown? I think there's still that uncertainty. I mean, if I could have it my way, I'd love to imagine, a, you know, a world in six months' time where... People just have their zest for life back and they just want to get dressed and they want to live life to the fullest. But I think, um, uh, you know, even personally, I feel a little bit apprehensive and I'm still feeling the blows of everything that's gone on this year. I think no matter how strong you are, it takes a toll on you in ways that you don't realise. And I think it, that's okay. Mm. So just wait and see. Wait and see. See what happens. I'm pretty confident... 
The, uh, there's a guy that I follow on YouTube that works at the, <laughs> NA, the NHS. Yeah. Yes. He's like a specialist in um, infectious diseases. Yes. And he's older. He's sort of like semi-retired. Are you going to give me some good news? Um, he's, <laughs> he's really confident that next year yep. will be pretty much back to normal. The issue is at the moment the winter that's upcoming in the Northern Hemisphere is going to be bad. Yeah. So... Um, but the, I, he went through for 30 minutes just the Pfizer vaccine. Yeah. And it looks really good. Yeah. Like 90% of people now have antibodies for coronavirus. They don't know how long they'll have them mm -hmm. for. Like, are we going to have to have this, you know, like a flu shot every year? Yeah. And then only four in like 30,000 people got coronavirus. And those four, which is 0.00013%, so a minute amount. Mm hmm weren't even that sick. Like, it was like having a cold. So it, it's looking pretty good, I would say. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm always very conscious of the things that I put into my body. Yeah. Um, so I would have to be... Pretty confident. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But even if the majority of the population gets the vaccine, I think things will be able to return back to normal. Um, so we'll see. But... Before we get into some uh, rapid-fire questions to, to finish things off, I've got to ask you, you do all these interviews. Mm. Oftentimes you get talking about the administration and that rock-bottom yeah. topic. What, what is the topic you wish people asked you more about? Um, <laughs> uh, I really, I'm on this, like, fun journey of... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Self-discovery and um, loving, well, learning to love all the aspects of myself. And, you know, I guess there's there's always things that we wish were different about ourselves or, you know, certain things that we don't like. But learning to love what makes me, I guess, unique and also navigating through this journey of personal discovery and growth and seeing it all as like an opportunity to further develop myself. So I guess that is something that I'm so entrenched in at the moment and I, I love talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you wish at the moment that you could change about yourself the most? My anxiety for sure. Yeah? Yeah. I think that's been one of the most challenging things because whether it's, you know, doing an interview with someone like yourself or having a conversation um, with other professionals or being in a space, you know, where I'm, I'm at an event with all these incredible people, sometimes you can get really stifled, what well, I feel really stifled by my circumstances and how I combat my anxiety. And there's like, I'm just like, oh, I wish I wasn't so nervous. I wish I said that. Or, yeah. you know, I... I Sometimes you say dumb stuff and you're like, oh. <laughs> so your, oh. is your anxiety <laughs> you know? social anxiety? Or, yeah. So would, it's, you, so. you and Lauren yeah. are very similar in that yeah. regard. She's got pretty bad social anxiety and she feels terrible about it. But yeah. um, I kind of find it endearing in a way. Like, <laughs> Thanks. Do, you, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but she, she's sort of at this point, because I now, my anxiety was generalised anxiety specifically to yeah. do with health. I was paranoid that I was going to drop fucking dead at any moment. Okay. Like, yeah. So well, yeah. really, really, like, intense mm -hmm. um, type So, what, you would get, like, sick and be like, 
Oh, like I'd see like yeah. a dot here and I was like, oh, is that cancer? Yeah, okay. Like that type of yep. thing. Or like I'd feel my heartbeat. Yep. And I'd be like, am I having a heart stop. attack? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Something like that. Yep. yep. And so I would mm -hmm. have panic attacks on the regular. It's like the thing with your, yeah. your sister with the not being able to swallow. Yeah. Mine was paranoia about choking and like yep. it gets re different things get reinforced by things that happen in your life. Like my dad classic Greek, we had a lot of octopus and one time he was like, not, he wasn't choking, he I reckon has anxiety as well, he just doesn't want <laughs> to admit, admit it, it. <laughs> never wants to admit it and he was like, oh, I've got this thing here and it's like, but really it was, he just didn't chew something properly and he was fine because I remember mm. asking my uncle about it and he's mm. like, I don't remember this moment at mm. all mm. in my life, whereas it's like a big thing for dad. Yeah, right. So as it turned out, I ended up taking, I take now to this day, 20 milligrams of this thing called Phloxetane, which is pretty much Prozac. Right. And it's not much. It relaxes you? It's just enough to take the edge off and yep. function normally. I don't have panic attacks ever. I still get anxious. Like, yep. I'll, I'll be honest, before every interview, I get, like, anxious. Yeah. I always used to I get <laughs> um, anxious. Like, uh, I always needed to pee before doing competitive sport. Or like when I did rowing at school, yep. I would vomit yep. before every rowing race. Yep. So I get the pain because like I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I probably pee like fifteen times a day. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing. Just, Lauren's got the same thing. It's a nervous thing. thing. Yeah, it's a nervous. Yeah, especially at energy, night, I'll yeah. be laying in bed and I'll just be like, "No, I need to go to the bathroom." Yeah. And it'll just be like nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm like. You know, and I'll go to bed and then half an hour later, I'm like, okay, yep, yep. You know, and my partner's like, you have the bladder of a 90-year-old woman. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, how do you, like, at night, how do you sort of decompress then? Not well. Not well. Are you on I, your I phone? Think, yeah. I'm yep. telling you that you, have you ever been much of a reader? You know, it's funny you bring that up because I just bought a book and I have always wanted to read more. I used to love reading. Um, and I just, I think when I started my business like seven years ago, since then I just stopped. And I find it really, really relaxing and I think incredible for the imagination to transport yourself to other worlds. So... But you could, you could read fiction. You well, could read yeah. anything. I, yeah. I, I can't really read... Non-fiction because it keeps me awake because it's yeah. like it reminds me of reading Harry Potter yeah. at like thirteen and yeah. having the light on. But when I read, um, wait, hang on, fiction is fictitious, obviously. Yeah. Non-fiction is what I currently read. Fiction is what I struggle to read. Okay, so oh, I if yeah. I, I can, mm -hmm. I, at the moment I'm reading a book. Oh, it's called The Luxury Strategy. It's about marketing mm -hmm. for luxury goods. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll be like. I found the biggest – there's two big changes I made. Reading at night. Yeah. Because I used to have like – I don't know if you've ever had this. I'd start to fall asleep and I'd go <gasps> – yep. Like I'd yep. sort of scare yep. myself away. Yep. Um, and Lauren would get that if she's too overexhausted as well. So yep. uh, you've got to start reading at night. Because you, you'll be fucking out yeah. <laughs> and you'll sleep like I'm sure. a queen. Because you calm your nervous system, you know, because mine's just like this all the time. Yeah. So – I, yeah, I, I completely agree. The book is there. I'm about seven pages in. Um, Holy shit. You and Lauren are very similar. Like, she's got, she's had this book that I read in about a week. Yeah. And it's been sitting on her bedside table yep. for three months. Yep. So yep. in the, that space of time, I've read, like, 10, 12 books. Yep. 
Do you, with the social anxiety, yeah. is there something that grinds your gears the most? About myself or? Yeah. I think I overthink conversation and like what I'm going to say to the point where I scare myself out of it and then I just don't <laughs> say anything. Yeah. And because I don't want to sound like an idiot. Yeah. But then I'll end up. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's funny. I was in. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a situation where um, I was with my one of my um, best friends, Sharon. We were at Fashion Week and I don't really get starstruck, but if it's someone that I've admired from when I was young, then I'll get nervous. So like really weird, you know, people that you wouldn't expect, like people I'd seen on Neighbours, like, <laughs> you know, Dr. Carl or something like that, just because I'd seen him, you know what I mean? For yeah. like... <laughs> Um, and so what, you like, <laughs> you freeze in the conversation? Well, I was, so I love Pip Edwards. Okay. She's just like an absolute boss. PE Nation is incredible and everything she's done, I'm just in awe of. Um, but I used to love her from, you know, back in the day when blogs were a thing. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> blogs were a thing. And, um, you know, she was always the one getting snapped by street style photographers and, she was, you know, working at Subi and then Sassenbide and General Pants. I just thought she was so cool. And I said to my friend Sharon, I was like, oh, my God, there's Pip. And she's like, oh, my God, I know Pip. Pip, come, come. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and she pulls me over and she's like, oh, Pip, this is my friend Effie. She's a designer too. And I was like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally... Just, you know, she was just like, oh, I just got off a plane and I just did, you know, this. And she was just chatting about her day and, like, you know, she's, like, so high energy and incredible. And I was just like... Because I, I try and encourage Lauren to do that. Like, when we were setting up before and she's doing the camera, she's probably, like, silently freaking out. Yeah. Like, you know, and she's trying to do the story and she's probably just like... <gasps> yeah. Oh, I get that. That's it's, And it's like you're all alone in it, you know? And it's yeah. just... It gets so overwhelming. Um, it's so... It's so... I can't help but say it's so endearing. Yeah. It really well, yeah. is. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how Pip found it, but she was amazing. And <laughs> since then she had like messaged me and she was like, hey, I'd love to, I love this piece. Can you, can you send me this? And she's, you know, worn my stuff and tagged me and she's always so awesome when I bump into her. So that was really cool. But um, these are the moments that I guess I experience with my social anxiety that, and my friend Sharon's incredible. She just... She's an actor on Neighbours and she just knows the right thing to say. She could literally talk to anyone about anything and I just look at her in wonder and I'm just like, your conversational skills are just so impressive. I, I wish I could be more like that. Um, Do you find, like, you struggle uh, making friends? Not struggle making friends but, like, you struggled to get out there and socialise as much as you could and no, that's uh, why you sort of dive into the work? I, th I think um, it's funny because I've made a lot of a lot of my friends today are people who came to me wanting a garment mm -hmm. in my industry um, or, you know, in a creative industry like acting or, you know, television or whatever. And it's been uh, through that process, I guess that's my comfort space. Yeah. And that's where I guess I feel most me. And that's where I've really connected with people and made um, incredible friends. Um, but, you know, 
socially can be tricky. I mean, scotch helps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're a scotch drinker. Yeah, but I am one of those people where, yeah, it's like, it's a bit of a paradox because I, I have this social anxiety, but I somehow make friends. I don't know yeah. how, I don't know how it works, but. They're probably, they're <laughs> probably drawn to you and what you're doing. And it's funny you mentioned scotch because Lauren's obsessed with um, whiskey as oh, well. We've got a yeah. bunch of whiskey downstairs. But. I find that she just dives into her work, which, like, her work is easy to get out of seeing people because yeah. she's a creative director. She doesn't, like, the only conversation she needs to have with people is through Slack or email or whatever. Mm. She gets really nervous for client meetings, but once they're done, mm. she's fine. Yeah. Like, it's after the fact that she's fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. She, she said to me in the past that... She wonders whether something like a fluoxetine would help. Yep. Have you ever thought about something like that? I have, um, but again, is it, it's it's an antidepressant, right? Is it? It's a. Uh, it's not. A, I think they're all classed as antidepressants, yeah. but it's an anti-anxiety specifically medication. But I know what you mean. I was. Yeah. I held off taking anything for like six, seven years. Yeah, I think I've seen, I have family members that do take antidepressants and I have seen the change in them. And I think, again, for me, that upbringing comes of like, you've got to no, be you tough, you've got to, you know, and I've always been like, I'll take the hard road if I feel like that's, I, it's just, that's my process. And yeah. I, I've, I've always been one to just do it tough, but. Yeah. You know. Well, like, I, I, it's the same situation for me in that I told the GP yeah. what's the absolute bare minimum I can take, and that's what she gave me. She's like, yeah. in any scenario, if someone couldn't eat food, I'd be giving them, like, 50 milligrams, 100 milligrams, yeah. some type thing. Yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, I think if it just takes the edge off, I'll be okay. And I, I think... I think as well, probably what you're thinking about is like a lot of if you've got a bad GP that you don't see yeah. regularly, they overdose people. Oh yeah, or they I just use hear that so many first. things. Yeah, they use that first. Like I had thirty sessions with a psychologist. Yeah, for like six months before we decided to take that. So yeah. I think that's like another big thing that people miss. I think if you go through that whole process of changing your life, yeah, seeing a psych for so long, mm. and you still don't have the impacts, then. And only then should you consider it. I think it's like a, a personal choice. And I think intrinsically we know deep down what's right for us and what's not. And what's right for one might not be right for another. And I've always been, I, I think my primary concern with it more than anything is that it's going to stifle like my creativity. Yeah. And that's why I, I just haven't. And I've always just kind of pushed through because that's, I guess, what I know and that's what I've always done. But, I mean, you never know. Life takes so many twists and turns. Maybe down the road that's something I will explore. But so far, I'm just taking it one panic attack at a time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump into some uh, rapid-fire questions to finish things off. Um, so, first one, what does your morning and evening routine look like at the moment? Ah, okay, so I get up at 7.30, which okay. is a bit of a sleep into what I was used to pre-COVID. Um, which was what, 6.36? Oh, yeah, 6.37, up by 7, any yeah. later, and I'm like, ugh. Um, but, yeah, so 7.30, I'll get up, I make a coffee, 
Okay. I like to walk outside on the grass barefoot. Nice. Apparently grounding is like, that's yeah. my meditation. Uh-huh. Um, that's good. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like a quick pace around, but at least, you know, like we tick that <laughs> off, off the list. Uh, I go through my emails and then I get into the office. So my week is split between base brand and Efficats brand, two days each and then one day of shooting content. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's 24-7 <laughs> gig. Um yeah. Yeah, people people would think that that's like actually the case of like, oh, she only looks at base stuff Wednesday, Thursday. Like, no. It'll, no. It'll it's, be constant. It's constant. And um, both of them are demanding in different ways. In the evening, how do you sort of decompress at night? Again, not something that I do very well. Um, but I have an amazing partner mm-hmm. and he calms me. <laughs> <laughs> so I love spending time with him and switching off. It's tricky on the nights that I'm posting because I generally post around 9 o'clock is my peak time. So on the nights where I'm posting, I'm very, like, involved with that and, you know, seeing what the website clicks are doing and, you know, all that. And I I, I probably shouldn't. Um, You can't help yourself. can't help myself. Do you guys, like, have a wine at night? Do you have – what have you been watching recently? Oh, I'm just straight scotch all the time. <laughs> I can't do wine. I suffer from chronic migraines. Uh-huh. So wine is something that triggers them. So anything that gives me migraines, I avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we, we finished Ozark. We loved uh, that. Yeah, that's it was amazing. great. Um, if you were to put a billboard anywhere in Melbourne mm-hmm. or Sydney, I'll mm-hmm. give you Sydney mm-hmm. as an option, uh, where would it be? First of all, so think about placement, and then what would you put on it? A billboard for, well, it depends on which brand, I guess. Um, but the billboards that I always notice are the ones going over the bolt team. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's on the way to the airport. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're good. Yeah. Um, People always talk about Punt Road and the actual airport one, but yeah, those are. Punt those Road's a good, good. one. Um, there's a bunch of billboards that feel like outside DFO sort of thing on the way to the airport as well. That Yes, oh, the square, yeah, I know the ones. Big square ones. But, but I think I f- they're like DFO ones. I think they may be, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I know the ones you're talking about when you sort of go o- just over the Bolte. And then so- over each bridge they have like a, and I always notice them, it's always for like Kiss FM or, or something, something like that. Something like that, so yeah. maybe just my face there. Just there. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. If uh, if you were to select the best purchase under two hundred dollars, what would it be? Oh, like clothes or anything you want. Well, I've um, recently, again, it's my form of winding down. I've um, and also, you know, I'm getting a bit older, and my body's not bouncing back the way it used to, so. I... <laughs> I've never been one to work out, really, but I have been, um, I've made a real effort to commit to that this year for my mental and physical health. Mm-hmm. And I bought the best leggings I've ever worn in my whole life. Every time I put them on, I feel incredible. And it really motivates me to work out. So I guess, you know, that's what you want gym gear to do, right? Yeah. Um, they're by my friend Tully, the brand's called Tully Lou. Okay. Literally the best leggings I've ever worn in my whole life. Tully Lou. 
Tally Tally Lou leggings. Yeah. Do you... Are you able to go back to gym at the moment? Our gym's closed. Well, I was doing PT um, Uh and my PT is one of our family friends. Uh Uh-huh. So... um, So you're sweet. Yeah. You're sorted. Yeah. Um, Effie, thanks for coming in. Uh, Where can people find you on the interwebs? So my Effie Cats brand you can find me on Instagram, mm-hmm. Effie Cats, and it's www.effiecats.com and then base brand is basebrand.com. We'll make sure we link all that stuff Thank in you. the show notes, but um, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening in to this episode. If you like it, do leave us a written review on your podcast app as it helps us continue going on a weekly basis and we do love reading those reviews as well. Uh, If you want the show notes, you can find that below or with our previous guests at neural.com slash podcast. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash podcast. To watch the full video, search Uncommon Show on YouTube and to keep up to date with behind the scenes and clips for the show, you can find us at uncommon underscore show on Instagram. But until next time, guys, thank you so much for listening.